This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Hello and welcome to the Farm Traveler Podcast. I'm your host, Trevor Williams. And I feel like I've been saying this a lot lately. Might be a little bit biased, but today's interview is awesome. We're going to talk to somebody who has created a direct-to-consumer meat company that is focusing on regenerative agriculture and really trying to harness the power of regenerative farming to help change diets and the health of everybody out there. But before we do that, before we go into that, we are doing a little competition here on Farm Traveler. Not really a competition, but a giveaway. So... If you follow us on Instagram, you might have seen our cool little koozies. They just say Farm Traveler on one side, and on the other, they have a QR code. And on the QR code, you can scan it on your phone, and it will take you directly to our website, which is kind of a really handy feature to have on a koozie. So to enter our contest, all you got to do, leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, which... If you listen on Spotify, you can now leave reviews, which is great. You can leave a, a five-star review, which is awesome. And of course, on Apple Podcasts, you can also leave a five-star review and you can leave a written review. So to enter, all you've got to do, leave a review on Apple or Spotify. And of course, if it's on Apple Podcasts, please consider doing a written review. That helps us out a ton. But for the next month, we will let that go. And then, I'll say about December 15th, we will try to announce a winner. I will just go in and pick randomly and see who has left a review. And if you do it on Spotify, feel free to screenshot that and then send it to me either via email, farmtravelerseries at gmail.com, or just send it over to me, message me on Instagram or Facebook or wherever you might follow us on social media. And of course, the winner will get a couple of really neat koozies. So let me know if you have any questions. I think this will be super fun and it helps get our name out there. So today on the show, we are going to be talking with Eric Perner from Rep Provisions. So Eric has a really cool background. He grew up on a farm in Oklahoma. His dad did a couple of regenerative farming practices. And then Eric went out and entered the oil and gas industry before eventually circling back and going the regenerative ranching route. And then Eric went about creating this awesome company, Rep Provisions, which is all about connecting consumers with great products that are grown and raised regeneratively. And so in our interview today, Eric and I are going to chat about a lot of awesome stuff really directed towards what regenerative agriculture is how these practices are kind of kind of a getting back to the basics with ranching and you're kind of paying more and more attention to the ecosystems, to the plant health. 
and how Eric has even learned from some great experts like Will Harris from White Oak Pastures. You might remember we had um, one of his family members on the podcast a couple of months ago, and he was on the Joe Rogan podcast a couple of weeks ago, which is so cool. And so how Eric has really taken a lot of inspiration from Will Harris, what he's doing, how this regenerative farming practices can really help solve um, our food problems, our health problems, and how a lot of farmers and ranchers out there should maybe look into it and see about doing it for their business, going the regenerative farming route. And also something that I like to talk about with um, different ranchers around the world, I got Eric's thought on the whole impossible um, food company saying that we should completely remove animal agriculture from the face from the face of the planet. And Eric has a really good thought on how actually that would be catastrophic for our grasslands here in the United States. So check out all of all things rep provisions at the links below in the description of this episode. I really think you'll enjoy this episode. I learned a ton from Eric and I think you will too. So thanks for listening and we'll go ahead and dive into it. Hope you enjoy it. In terms of coolest backgrounds that we've had on the show, I think yours might take the cake. You've got a really good background with the deer head up there and everything. Oh, okay, yeah. I didn't. I. Uh, it's hard to find the right background for these things, so I just set it right up in my living room. So I figured no, that's perfect. I mean, I feel like it gives it a really good character. What you've got a, a deer and a bison up there. I mean, just to name a few. Yeah. Yep. That's pretty cool. All right. Well, Eric, welcome to the Farm Traveler Podcast, man. How are you doing? Great, Trevor. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. So you have got this cool company called Rep Provisions, and it looks like you bet you guys are basically kind of providing consumers with great raised, keyword here is regeneratively raised um, meat. So, I mean, we're, we're going to get into this in the episode, like what that is. But before we dive into that, kind of tell us about your background and how you wound up kind of starting Rep Provisions. Yeah, so I I grew up on a small farm in Oklahoma, and I was um, we we had all multi species operation from cattle to goats to chickens and 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 those things, but very small operation, just enough to provide for our family. My dad was very much kind of this regenerative mindset before that was even a term. Mm-hmm. Okay. Was, before that was uh, cool, um, he was in that mindset. So I learned that at a pretty young age. And I um, was very passionate about, I was a big hunter and loved wildlife and, and loved, you know, actually providing um, habitat for wildlife. My dad kind of kept me in this mindset of how you kind of need to work with nature, not against it to mm. grow up. And so that was kind of instilled in me at a young age. But I, you know, as I grew up, I just watched all these farms and ranches around us, which kind of just pretty much, you know, were very extractive, intensive operations that were not fitting my context at all. So it really, you know, kind of had me down on ag and really didn't feel the, the desire to go that path, you know, after I left the farm. So I went to college and got an engineering degree. Mm. And that degree led me to a career in the oil and gas exploration industry. So after a pretty long career in that, which basically I went from, you know, kind of just kind of being dismissive of extractive agriculture, but went that to the most extractive industry there is. Yeah. <laughs> and after, you know, a, a couple decades in, in that industry, I was being called back to the farm and really kind of had a passion to come back and do it right, do it differently. Um, and I had purchased a place that I'm on now in 2006 and began trying to restore it just for habitat not really to grow animals or, or wasn't even thinking long-term about food or anything of that nature, but just how can I improve habitat? But really what I come to find out is, you know, animals on land are a necessary piece of good soil, number one, but also providing all these great other outcomes that I want for whether it's grassland bird habitat or different species of pollinators, animals actually fit really nicely into that. Um, I discovered an organization called the Savory Institute which is out of Boulder, Colorado, which is how we get all of our land bases regenerative um, verified. And they really um, teach this concept in a whole other level um, across the world that really inspired me to kind of shift 
all our practice to their holistic management. And so went through all their training. Um, that took, you know, a couple years and, uh, then began to start the ranching operations back up with, uh, multi-species. But I started to wonder, you know, Hey, this is great that I'm, I'm kind of doing these things and I can have great outcomes. But if I have to sell back into this conventional market, meaning, you know, animals go to, you know, a livestock sale and then they go to um, a feedlot and then to the consumer at the end of the day, I didn't see that really worth it. It didn't really, didn't really fit where I wanted to be. So that's where I dreamed up this company, direct consumer company called Rep Provisions, where actually we can communicate directly with the consumer and tell them our story. Um, ideally, it would, you know, if we're going to grow a better product, you know, ideally we'd be compensated for that better than we could in a conventional market. And so that was the idea behind that, to really tell that story of regenerative, what we're doing, what our farmer network's doing, and then allow those folks to, you know, go direct, straight to their consumer and say, hey, this is a higher value product. Um, and we think, you know, these farmers should be compensated a little bit differently. So that's kind of how that, in a nutshell, um, went from, you know, this highly extractive oil and gas to um, where we're pumping carbon and burning carbon quickly, where we're getting back to regenerative practice, where we're putting carbon back in the soil. So kind of come full loop in that regard. Yeah, kind of going back to that, I mean, would you say that there was a moment where, you know, you're working in oil and gas where you, was there a moment where you decided to go back to the farm, go back to farming and kind of follow your dad's idea on regenerative farming? Or was it kind of like, you know, kind of like a slow process of going back to that? Yeah, it was, it was, it was a kind of a slow process for me because, you know, certainly you're kind of scared to jump into something. Farming is literally the hardest occupation in the world that mm -hmm. pays the least, right? I mean, I think anyone who's done that understands this, this concept. And th that really needs to change, um, for one. But yeah, so I didn't want to jump right back from having a, you know, a really firm, you know, uh, um, financial backing and jump headfirst into this and just be struggling, um, but built it up slowly over time and got to a point where, you know, I did quit my, my day job and just focused on the ranch and the business full time. Hmm. Okay. And so w this regenerative thing, you, you talked about it, your dad knew about it. Would you say it's kind of like a going back to the basics when it comes to ranching? Like, do you think we've, I mean, I know the whole food supply chain has been really, really wonky the past couple of years where we have feedlots and all that stuff. But do you think regenerative is really getting back to basics and it's a system that can really, really work and solve all of our like beef problems, really? Well, not just beef, but I guess all of our like animal livestock problems. Yeah, I mean, that's that's a good question. And I, I get asked all the time um, by folks who say, hey, you know, Eric, regenerative agriculture is great and all, but, you know, it can't feed the world. Mm -hmm. You know, like it's not, it's not, you can't, you know, you couldn't feed the world on it. I get told that all the time, but my, my response is, you know, in the current method where we're using more than we're giving back in this highly extractive um, agriculture world that we live in now, if you're, if your baseline assumption is that that somehow is sustainable over time, then you got some serious questions to answer as well. So while I can't give, tell you, you know, point to some study that says, yes, we can, we can, you know, feed the world this way, or, you know, that it, it's perfectly, you know, if we, if we do this, we can still maintain all the same, you know, you know, um, uh, uh, cheap food that we've had for years and years, you know, I, I don't know, I don't know that for certain, but I do know, you know, the, the path we're headed down now is certainly not sustainable and we've got to make some changes at some point. And I think regenerative agriculture holds the most promise, right? So I think it definitely, you know, if we, if we can convince enough farms and ranches to shift their practices, this has huge impacts, you know, on soil health, on climate health. Um, you know, there's so many compounding effects from shifting to regenerative practices from, you know, repairing a damaged water cycle or what I talked about just now, the carbon cycle, like mm -hmm. there's so many compounding effects and our health, our nutritional health, like these things are the fundamental basis of what regenerative agriculture does. So I think there's great hope. Um, I wish I could tell you that, you know, here's how we do it and here's how we scale it. I think we're still answering those questions, but I think, um, you know, it's definitely um, holds the most hope of, of anything that we we're trying so far.
Yeah, and you kind of mentioned it there a little bit. I mean, we have this expectation as consumers of cheap beef, cheap meat, and that's kind of a result of our the feedlots we have, and it's not very sustainable. I mean, even when you look at feedlots, you look at it and you're like, I don't like that doesn't look, you know, like the best situations for the animals. It doesn't look like it's very sustainable for the environment. And then you go back to these regenerative practices and it addresses not only problems with raising livestock, but also the ecology of the environment, all the numerous species that are involved. I mean, like it kind of goes back to it's it's it looks and it is much more natural and it's a much more natural process of raising livestock. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I wouldn't, you know, um, regenerative agriculture is still a form of agriculture, right? Mm -hmm. It's not we're not going back to nature. I mean, that's that I understand that's not going to happen. It is still agriculture. So, you know, um, agra being land and culture being, you know, cultivating that land, taking care of it, basically, it's still a form of agriculture. I think it's how we, you know, um, um, how we practice it that has all these other great outcomes with nature, right? Like you mm -hmm. mentioned, the biodiversity, that's a key point of regenerative agriculture, um, keeping the soil covered. Uh, minimizing that soil disturbance and increasing biodiversity and, and just maintaining a continuous living root in that soil. All these practices lead to better outcomes and in the end creates more food for humans to consume. So if we're on a path now where we're losing approximately 75 billion tons of topsoil yearly because of our practices, well, clearly, you know, this is not good as well. And a regenerative can, can be that mechanism in agriculture that can repair a lot of that damage. Yeah. So moving on, tell me what exactly do, do these regenerative processes look like? And then also like how difficult is it to make sure that you guys are doing it, each farmer that might work with y'all are doing it? Like what's it like to go through that process to make sure the regenerative process is going on on the farm? Yeah. So I, I mentioned earlier the Savory Institute. Mm -hmm. So they have a, a regenerative certification known as um, ecological outcome verification. So that's really mm -hmm. the science behind regenerative. So any farmer in, in our network and anything in the Savory's um, ecological outcome verification is monitored every year. So they take measurements every year. And it's basically um, each year you've got 15 um, indicators that you look for, everything from water infiltration to biodiversity. And then um, also every fifth year, they're taking actual soil samples and, and more intensive measurements. So that's how they track it. Uh, I think um, that's as far as I've seen, that's the best method and the best science behind verifying regenerative. Um, but some of it's pretty obvious, you know, like I can show you um, Trevor, on, on my land and not to criticize my neighbors, but when you look down the fence line, you immediately see it. I mean, there's no <laughs> denying it. And so there's some more obvious, just visual indicators that you see. And we and I, I like to tell people you can feel it with all your senses. You know, visually, you know, things look different and you hear things that are different on my ranch, like the, the cacophony and noises in the growing season here are unbelievable it's it's deafening and then you step across the road to another ranch and it's complete silence so you know you have all these these sensory indicators that tell you hey something feels different here and that's that's basically what you know guys making these regenerative practices are seeing and feeling that difference as well that's interesting and i mean i feel like I don't know. I mean, you mentioned it earlier, a lot more people have been paying attention to things like carbon sequestration and things like regenerative farming can really help combat that. And yet there's a study, I can't remember the name of it. And I've mentioned it a few times on this podcast, but essentially, I think there was a farmer in the UK and he did rotational grazing with various other regenerative farming practices. And he found that his cattle, because they would rotate grazing on different pastures, the pasture could capture more carbon because of the rotational grazing and the various regenerative farming practices that they were following. And so not a lot of people realize that whenever you farm with these practices, the soil can be greatly improved, unlike, you know, traditional traditional ranches where they aren't, you know, doing all of this stuff. Yeah, I mean, that's exactly right. So we, I mean, in the U.S., there's, I mean, roughly 400 million acres of monoculture crops. Mm -hmm. These crops are plowed every year. They're planted um, mostly with one, one species. 
right? That's, that's, you know, that is not natural. And so uh, nature immediately begins attacking that. So there's all these kind of, you know, pesticides they got to spray and then they've got to be fertilized, you know, heavily with nitrogen fertilizer. And we've done a great job of growing calories for that. Um, but just think every year that soil is plowed, that carbon in that soil becomes oxidized and then that becomes a net emitter of carbon. And again, another of one of the soil health principles in regenerative is keeping a living root growing as long as possible. So when we think about these large monocrops, they're planted in the spring, harvested, you know, early fall, maybe late summer. There's no more living going on in that soil, you know, for how many X months. So no carbon is being stored. And in regenerative practices, it's trying to maintain that living root, keeping your soil covered. So there's typically um, for a big portion of the year, there's, you know, through the magic of photosynthesis, these plants are storing carbon in that soil over time. Not to mention, you know, that's that's one component. Yes, they can store carbon in the soil more effectively, um, um, actually have be a net storage, not a net emitter as opposed to monocrop agriculture, but also just the amount of life that is happening over the course of the year. I think people forget about this. What is life? It's carbon-based. So if we're continually using this carbon cycle to create more and more life, that's more and more carbon being wrapped up at any given time, not necessarily even in the soil. So I think, you know, we fail to realize that where, you know, monocrops, you know, like I said, a brief time, they're harvested, they're net emitters, um, that carbon storage, that carbon cycle is severely broken in cases like that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I haven't thought about it until just now when you were talking about it. Um, with, you know, capturing carbon, you're improving the soil health. And typically people kind of associate that with better quality soil equals better quality plants. But also if you're paying attention to the soil, you're creating better quality grass, which can that relate, can that relate to better quality beef and better quality livestock if they are getting kind of a better feed and a better grassland? Yeah. I mean, part of what plants do, how they store carbon is, um, you know, they take in CO2 and like I said, through the magic of photosynthesis, they create these carbohydrates, which end up as exudates in those roots, which feed the microbiome in the soil of where the plants get their nutrients from mm -hmm. phosphorus, magnesium to calcium. They have this symbiotic relationship with all these organisms that helps feed that root and that plant to keep it healthy. And so if it's, if that is functioning, you know, at a high level in multiple species, just think of the nutrients that are in that plant, right? So if you have this highly functioning ecosystem, the, the nutrient density in that plant is going to be stronger and more resilient. And if my animals are eating that plant, it only makes sense that they're going to be healthier. And so we like to say you are what you eat eats as mm -hmm. well. So in turn, as the, as the, as you know, as, as it goes down the line, if we're eating beef grown on nutrient dense plants with nutrient dense soil, it makes sense that our bodies are going to get all the necessary requirements that it needs through that. And in fact, there's lots of studies that say that our food is not as nutrient dense as it used to be. And, and I believe that it's an easy concept to understand, you know, healthy soil has more nutrients in it. Unhealthy soil does not. So. You know, if we're growing um, crops on these highly extractive monocrops in poor soil health that is chemically fertilized, you know, are you going to get all the necessary micronutrients that our body needs? And I would say no. I think that's that's look would be pretty apparent. Yeah, I mean, it seems that I mean, this is a great process. I love learning more about regenerative farming. I mean, I, I spoke with um, one of the family members of White Oak Pastures down in Georgia, and I mean, the dad of that was on the Joe Rogan show a couple of months ago, and like had so much to say about regenerative farming and the current state of the food supply and all that stuff. And that was just, I mean, fascinating to listen to. I mean, do you follow them or, or like any other regenerative farmers that you're like kind of seeing what they're doing and how you can adapt it to your farm? Yeah. So, uh, Will Harris, who, um, started white oak pastures is who you're talking about. Mm -hmm. and, and he's just a great spokesman for regenerative. And I, I visited their farm a couple years ago and he drove me around the entire place. And, um, it's really amazing, you know, what he's doing there on what I, you know, a fairly small acreage and created this kind of multi-million dollar farming <laughs> operation yeah. on a, on, and generally speaking, a pretty small footprint. 
And he re-energized this town in Bluffton, Georgia, created hundreds of jobs, all based around his little farm of which he supplies, you know, products, you know, they ship, uh, I think mostly nationwide and some grocery store chains. So how he reinvigorated this area of the country that was just dying is amazing. And it really, you know, it, it got me thinking about what regenerative agriculture means. And because there's different definitions, right? Um, oh, yeah. it's, a lot of people say, hey, it's how you restore degraded land. It's building soil over time. And all these things are true. But at the core of it, as I mentioned, it is a form of agriculture. And Will Harris has practiced it so perfectly. And I was thinking about it. And really, when it comes down, what how my definition of regenerative agriculture is, um, is cycling nutrients in the place where it does humans, plants, and animals the most good. And that's what Will Harris does. He cycles every nutrient back into that soil. For example, when they process, they have their own processing facility, and any of the refuse from those animals that's left over is composted and spread back on his soil. Any uh, foods you know, that, that is served at their restaurant is composted and served back on that soil. And the animals on the land cycling that that um, you know grass and back into the soil. So it's really this beautiful cycling of nutrients that he's doing, and it's a it's an incredible operation. And he's feeding. I, I wish there would be a study on how many calories he he's producing on a fairly small acreage. I bet you would be amazed by it. Um, it's just it's 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 a fascinating operation, and he's really kind of cracked that code on regenerative. Oh, absolutely. I mean, not only like calories, but I mean, like you were saying earlier, very high quality calories that are being produced yeah. from that farm. Like, I mean, they've got so much stuff. I've got a pamphlet from them because a friend of ours actually like drove through there. And um, basically they have everything, like everything on the cow, they produce something like whether it's dog toys or, you know, obviously leather. They worked with, I think Timberland, um, um, the boot company, they were make they wanted right. to do regenerative leather for yeah, their boots. Nothing wasted. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, it's so cool that they're doing that. And like you said, they're revitalizing their town, which hopefully as more and more people look into regenerative, that can happen all across the country. And, you know, these communities that um, are kind of suffering with jobs and careers, stuff like this can happen. I mean, that would be super cool. Yeah. I mean, and that's really, you know, the, our direct consumer brand rep that it's, it's an acronym the REP, the R is for re regenerate, regenerate the land. The E is for energize local communities like Will Harris has done. And then the P is preserve a future for all of humanity. So that's really wrapped up in our motto of what we're trying to do with rep provisions as well. But yes. That's awesome. So yeah, let's talk a little bit more about rep provisions. I mean, you guys offer a lot of products. And so I'm always fascinated by this, but what's the whole process of um, processing the animal and getting it out to the consumer as quick as possible because you guys deliver nationwide. Is that right? Yes, we do. R right now we are delivering nationwide. Our, um, our hope is that we can, while, while we're fine with delivering um, good nutritious food nationwide, our hope would be that we can do what we're doing here in Oklahoma and scale this nationwide with other small hubs. Mm-hmm which have regenerative farms and ranches around them and deliver more, more hyper local to, but right now we are delivering nationwide. Yes. That's awesome. I mean, what was the process of going that direction, going direct to consumer, cutting out completely the middleman, the grocery stores and everything, because you, you have a great product and you want to get it to consumers as quick as possible. And so what was that whole yeah. development process like? Yeah. I mean, well, um, Number one, we wanted to cut out those middlemen, mm -hmm. right? We, we wanted to do it for self. We just think that's better um, for the environment, better for our health. You know, if you think about um, on how a steak ends up on your plate, well, it goes from like, for example, if we were in a more conventional um, operation, it would come from my farm. I'd go to the local livestock sale. And so I'd have to travel that livestock yard. And then that beef would then be bought by the feedlots. Right. So then it's got to travel another 500 plus miles or whatever, go to the feedlot, sit there for 90 days. And then from there, go to the processor and then from there be distributed all across you know, the nation or even packaged at a different spot and then distributed. So all these little steps along the way where if you think about what we're doing, 
my beef is going from our from our farms and ranches directly to a processor and then distributed right so mm -hmm. there there are no feedlot steps there are no livestock sales there it's just going from literally i wake up that morning i take a beef into the processor and it's hanging on the hook within an hour like that's you know that that that's the least amount of stress on that animal which again i think is going to create a better product you know where the conventional system there's constant stress along the way for these animals from you know livestock sales to you know being stuck in a feedlot in crowded conditions and you know you know being a diet that it's not evolutionarily appropriate and and so all these really steps that create stress on that animal this is the least amount of stress so if you're concerned about animal health and well-being if that's important to you regenerative like we're doing it is is the right right way to approach it you go from pasture to processor and then distributed when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, I mean, that's something that a lot of people don't realize. I mean, just kind of obviously how stressful it is for the animal. I mean, when it goes through, like you were saying, their, their traditional home, then out to a feedlot, then a processor, and just kind of all that goes into it. I mean, I would assume if you're going to process it very quickly and get it out the door as quickly as possible, it's going to be a lot healthier for you. It's going to be less stressed. It's going to be fresher, longer in your fridge or in your freezer. And I mean, that's awesome. I think that's such a win-win for any consumer that would want that. Yeah, yeah, and I think, you know, when people purchase our meat, I mean, they often tell us, man, this just tastes different. I mean, mm -hmm. and it looks different. Like, it's so vibrant red and, and beautiful. And um, I, I got to believe that's because, you know, a lot of the processes we use from grazing on nutrient-dense grasses to, you know, minimizing stress on the animal, that it just creates a, a product that tastes like it's supposed to taste. That makes sense. That makes sense. And I mean... Would you say, how how exactly did the pandemic impact you guys? Because I, I, I saw some farmers and ranchers that went the direct-to-consumer route because they needed to, you know, keep a business bottle open. They needed to stay in business, so they went there as a means of necessity. So how exactly did it impact you guys? Yeah, it um, initially in March 2020 was basically the, the month we started selling. Mm. And we were geared more towards creating shelf stable products. Okay. So we had beef sticks, we had pecan butter because we have lots of native pecan trees. So we went down this path of trying to create more shelf stable products and fewer um, fresh frozen. But when the pandemic hit all of our, our um, co-packers, which help us package these shelf stable products were shut down. And so we were like, well, we, I mean, what are we going to do? So we, we shifted everything towards just um, selling fresh frozen products. And so, but it turned out, you know, that was where the demand was because, you know, people were not getting out. They were stuck at home. Um, they were having to order online. So they have to learn this new skill set. So it created this whole other audience that had to ramp up quickly, educate themselves on how to purchase things online. So I, I would say at the end of the day, it was probably a net benefit. Um, for for the business that we were in at the time, um, but you know since that's slowed down and and the pandemic is you know mostly over, we still see increased demand, and I think what's driving that is it exposed a huge hole in America of mm -hmm. our health. Our health as a nation was pretty bad, and I think you know people are now searching for products that are going to provide better health to protect them protect them in the next pandemic and uh i mean we're seeing it all the time about people you know their diet is much more important and so i think that's going to carry on and i think these brands and these folks that can provide a superior healthy product are going to be the winners at the end of the day because you know there's just there there was just some certain facts when dealing with covid and and if you were already in poor health your outcomes were probably going to be way worse and i yeah. think that scared a lot of people oh absolutely and i mean 
I feel like that's a huge thing because, I mean, as you're probably very much aware as somebody involved in um, animal agriculture right now, there's this huge health issue going on where, you know, you've got people that say, hey, we need to eat better. We need to have, you know, better meat, better steaks. You also have a very vocal minority that are saying beef and animal proteins are not good for you. You need alternative meat products like a Beyond Meat, like an Impossible Meat that are saying, you know, livestock is destroying the planet and all this stuff. What's your take on that? I know that's a huge question that I'm sure grinds your gears, but I mean, at the intersection of beef is very, very healthy. Regenerative farming is healthy for the planet. Like, what are your thoughts on all of that mumbo jumbo that's going on? Yeah, that I'm, I, man, I've thought so much about this. <laughs> and I mean, the fact is, I know my own health and I eat like the, like probably 85% of my diet is just meat. Mm-hmm. Like that's all I eat. And I, I, I you know, and, and my wife as well and, and my son, and we know the kind of health we are in. So we're like, something doesn't add up here, Trevor. Like something's, <laughs> we're getting this story that you have to be vegan to be healthy. And I'm like, I, this, I don't think so, you know? Um, but I think there's a group of nutritionists, functional nutritionists that are seeing this differently now. And I'm super excited about it. Um, and and the fact is, we're, we're, we're tying in on this logic that, hey, you know what? Throughout all of human evolution, we probably ate a lot of meat. Like, and in some cases, it might have been, you know, the majority of our diet, along with some fruit um, and honey, things we could forage for. So if that's how the human body evolved over the last however long, you know, million, two million years, then how could it all of a sudden be bad for us? Mm -hmm. So then we got to look back. Okay, well, what's what is causing this massive increase in obesity and diabetes and all these things? And if we can kind of trace back, I think, in the 80s, when the USDA came out with the food pyramid that I'm sure all of us have seen, which is basically a low fat, high carb diet. Right. So these things that are because because fat Animal fats were the the thing that was killing us. We mm-hmm. had to get off of it. And we switched to this kind of um, high carb, low fat diet. So you saw, you know, I don't know, you know, what era you grew up in, but, you know, the, can you, I, the, the, the product, I can't believe it's not butter, you know, it wasn't butter. It was seed oils, right? That was going to be the savior, oils. the savior from all the, unhe- the, yeah, all the healthy fats. From these yeah. horrible animal fats, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And, and, and then our agriculture, you know, was was corn, soybean, canola, all these really cheap oils that we're getting inundated with. Like they are in everything. Every restaurant cooks with them. Every product uses them. These high um, seed oil, these polyunsaturated fatty acids are in seed oils. We, our bodies are inundated with them. And what happened? Our health outcomes continue to deteriorate at an accelerating pace. And people, a lot of people say, yeah, but we're living longer. You know, oh, yeah, but we're living long. But are we really living longer? When I drive by my local drugstore, I see a mile long line of cars for everyone lined up to get their drugs that they need to live on. So we're not living. I wouldn't say we're, we're, we're living longer. We're dying longer, but we're not living. We're not really living. And I think we've got away from what a really evolutionarily appropriate diet is for humans. And that revolves around a lot of animal products and a lot of animal fat. And when you combine it with all the other, the seed oils and all these other fats, high in omega-6s is what, what most people are, most functional nutritionists tell me that are, are causing our issues, mm-hmm. then it creates a lot of health problems for us. So it's more, you know, getting rid of the garbage, focusing on the high quality meats and fruits and to me, this is the perfect um, path for, for humans to in the perfect diet. And a lot of folks are having great outcomes on um, even the carnivore diet, for example, or an animal-based diet, not a plant-based diet. And I think that's great. I think that's the right path. I know that's the path I'm taking, and I know a lot of our customers feel that same way. Yeah, I follow Carnivore MD on Instagram and Facebook, and he's all about you know carnivore diet, the dangers of seed oils and stuff like that. And I mean, yeah, I grew up in the 90s and I mean, I feel like our whole fast food industry has completely screwed us up. It's given everybody 
I don't know, convenience is the thing. We don't want to spend, I don't know, above $30 on a high quality, nutritious meal. We want, you know, a McDouble, a, a McDouble from a Burger King or from a McDonald's. It's like three bucks. Not healthy. Yeah. I mean, it's beef, but, you know, it's not healthy, highly processed. Well, I, I would say if you would take um, all the garbage they put on that hamburger and the bun and throw that in the trash and then eat the beef, you'll be fine. Oh, yeah, exactly. Good meal. It's all the other junk. And then, you know, uh, get rid of all the uh, potatoes fried in seed oils. Like if you got rid of that, just ate the beef, it'd be great. Yeah, so the French fries, the, the chicken tenders, like every restaurant has fried chicken. Chicken, super duper healthy. But of course, obviously fried, you're getting all those seed oils, all that extra carbs in you, and that's slowing yeah. you down. I, so it's it's weird. Yeah, we're, we're, we're blaming um, our poor health outcomes on beef when it's actually the plant-based products that... Mm believe are the problem that's very that's a very good point yeah it's not the actual meat it's the other products are being combined with it that are slowing everybody down and fattening everybody up yes 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 and and, i mean kind of going back to the impossible thing like i think i've tried it it's close to beef but it's you know still not beef it's another product for consumers like vegetarians or whatever if they want to try it sure that's fine i'm all for more choice for consumers but i'm sure you've seen it the ceo of impossible was like our whole goal is to put animal agriculture out of business. And I thought that was the most asinine comment I've ever read from any CEO. I mean, he's essentially saying we are going to take a biological process of cattle grazing the land and completely remove it. So if we did that, what would happen to our grasslands if there were no cattle, if there were no more livestock? Yeah, I mean, um, you know, when I when I think of stuff like that and I think about, um, for example, our areas in the Great Plains, uh, um, one of the kind of most endangered ecosystems there is, the tall grass prairie, which mm-hmm. was, you know, 185 million acres that stretched from Mexico to Canada. And this is the core of where intensive agriculture is happening in the Great Plains, right? So Iowa, Kansas, you know, all the way, Nebraska, all these kind of areas where we had extremely deep topsoil like i mean feet of topsoil mm-hmm. some in some cases it's three to six feet deep that these um the great plains and all the plants evolved and it was you know we didn't get you know three feet of topsoil because we were growing um soybeans on it or corn we got that because we were growing these native perennial plants in conjunction with millions of head of bison mm-hmm. which then you know were incorporating all that plant matter back into top organic matter on soil. And that built over the many eons to these extreme depths of topsoil. So this, this notion that you can eliminate animals from this ecosystem and still maintain um, good soil health is, is a fantasy. That's, that's not the case. You're, if, if you do that, you're going to continually extract from that soil. You're going to extract nutrients. You're going to extract carbon. You're going to have a lot of um, negative non-sustainable outcomes over time. Yeah, it's not the solution. I mean, I wish companies like that would realize like, hey, we need to work with agriculture, not against it. Because I mean, like regenerative agriculture shows, animals are clearly one of the reasons or one of the tools behind sequestering carbon, behind saving our ecosystems. I mean, it's not that we need to completely stop it. We need to revamp what we're doing, like maybe stop doing so many feedlots, do more regenerative farming practices locally, and that can do a lot of good. Yeah. Yeah. We, we don't need to stop it, but we need, we do, I think we can all admit we need to do it better. Hmm. And, you know, even the folks that say um, beef is bad for the environment, well, you know what? They have a case too. I mean, if we look at how a lot of it's done, I would not argue that fact. What I will argue the fact is those guys practicing regenerative methods, you know, and staying on, on, on you know, trying to stay away from feedlots as much as possible. Those are where it's at. You know, so we need to change practices on everything. But I, I truly believe in my heart that all these monocrops that we're growing are far more damaging than any animal agriculture, mm-hmm. uh, far more damaging for the environment, far more damaging for climate change. Um, and, and I think we really need to take a hard look at how we grow crops and how do we incorporate crops with animals and how do we like i mentioned how do we keep that living root growing as long as possible like these things we need to take a hard look at and rethink 
of, of how we grow calories. Now, do you think if we can kind of fix the American diet and get away from seed oils and highly processed stuff, do you think we could de decrease our need for monocrops? Uh, yeah, I mean, it just stands to reason if if um, we're having higher nutrient dense foods, there's less need for all these empty calories that come from corn and soy. If we can, you know, at least reduce some of these inputs for animal agriculture to feed um, these type of feeds, we can, you know, we can minimize the amount of monocrops that we're growing. Mm -hmm. If we would stop doing this silly practice of growing corn for fuel, I mean, to me, that's insanity. <laughs> Um, that makes no sense whatsoever. So, I mean, there's a lot of a lot of um, things we need to change uh, for sure with agriculture. But if 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 our diet shifts, and even not a huge shift, if it shifts marginally, it could make a dramatic difference. And I mean, yeah, I I think farmers like you guys that are practicing regenerative and showing consumers all the good it can do, all the good benefits it can bring to not only the planet but also your health is huge. And so for anybody curious, if they wanted to go try your products, what all do you do you offer? What is the whole process like of buying and selling and shipping and all that stuff? So what does that look like? Yeah, so we, we have a, a, a website. It's um, www.eatrep.com. And we've got beef. We've got chicken, pastured chicken and pastured pork products. Um, we also have um, broth. So beef broth and chicken broth. And then we also created a line of sauces to pair with our meats that are free of all seed oils or processed sugars that are amazing. And so we have, the, you know, these, all these things can be purchased and literally you can create a meal for your family every day of the week just by purchasing products on our website. Like you can feed your family and then we get those orders. We ship them in a shipping kit with dry ice and on most places in the continental U.S., it will be there in um, two days or less. That's pretty quick so, shipping. Yeah. Yeah, you can, you know, and oh, oh, I forgot to mention, we also have bison as well. Bison, big fan of bison. Um, yeah, we, we've, been bison. we've been trying to eat some more bison, more deer. My father-in-law is a really big deer hunter. And so we've got a freezer filled with, with deer meat. And I mean, you guys offer like not only cuts of meat and different roasts and stuff like that, you can also buy half a cow, right? Yes. Yeah. Now the the caveat there is we can't ship that that the the expense to do that would be too great for oh, us. Oh yeah. But uh, what happens is people will purchase that and then you know have a way to come pick it up. Um, typically, you know you're not you're not going to drive too far to do that. But that's that's the that's the caveat for the half a side of beef. Gotcha. We and, can do it, but you got to come pick it up. Oh, yeah. And probably a good thing. I mean, if you guys eventually have, you know, some more hubs around the country, that would be some more opportunities where you can that drive. That would be and the pick goal, right? So, yeah. yeah. So we, we would love for people to put a half a beef in their in their freezer, you know, and feed your family the rest of the year on a really good, you know, diet of regenerative grass-fed beef. Um, but, yeah, we've got to, you know, ideally we'll scale this where it will be more local. Mm -hmm. Um for those communities with surrounding regenerative farms and ranches. So, so what's the future looking like for you guys? I know, like you said, you want to develop some more hubs. Are you looking to include maybe some more types of livestock? Like what's the future looking like for the next five or 10 years? Yeah. So we want to continue to grow this kind of hub network. We want to enroll as many farms and ranches in this regenerative certified program. So that's really the goal. Mm. Um, we want to create another line of shelf stable um, products one i mentioned in the sauces as well um, to, to pair with these good meats but also in um, beef jerky and beef sticks things that are um, have a you know a good shelf life but done with our context and in, in health being the key uh, and so the goal here would be that when we get an animal in we can cycle you know all the middle cuts move very quickly you know all your prime steaks move very quickly but then the rest of trim takes time to trickle out mm -hmm. so we want to have this beautiful um concept where we have a lot of trim for shelf stable products that you know that will move a little easier and then all the middle cuts will move much more quickly and keep that that animal and that product moving in an efficient manner that keeps us will keep us profitable um in addition to that we're going to create a um, we know that we want to be healthy, but we also want our pets to be healthy. So we're going to create a line of fresh frozen dog food 
products based, you know, all when with our regenerative meats um, and things that will keep your pets healthy as well. So that's that's in the future. That's in the line as well. Uh, man, we have a we have a huge vision, um, Trevor. Um, on top of this, we want you know to your comments about how do we scale this and you know how farmers can get paid for this to switch to regenerative methods. So we think there's a huge opportunity in the carbon markets, the carbon storage markets. And if our farmer network is storing more carbon in their soils, we believe eventually that they could be compensated for that. So we hope to create a process where our farmer network can be um, compensated for carbon storage. That's perfect. So you guys are going to be just a little bit busy because I, I, I know that carbon credits are booming. And so that would be such a great way for, for regenerative farmers yeah. helping you guys would be a great, great way for them to get you know some extra money. I mean, like you said earlier, I mean, farming is not a very get rich quick thing at all. So it's that would not, be great. Yeah, yeah we, we've got to figure out a way to compensate farmers better. Um, and that's that's part of our mission. I'm working. I'm also uh, working with another company called Rebellion Energy Solutions, which is um, we're finding land bases that have abandoned oil and gas wells on them. And then we're we're plugging those wells mm. and then trying to convert that land to regenerative methods to create in this, this kind of beautiful carbon market as well. Oh, that's perfect. So, I mean, business goes out, you come back in, bring it back to where it was. I mean, kind of revitalize the regenerative nature of it. That's awesome. Exactly. That, that's kind of cool how, I mean, you came from oil and gas, you're doing regenerative farming. Now you're going back, plugging all that up and doing regenerative right. processes again. Yeah. You know, I, I like, I saw the light, you know, <laughs> I limit, I, I, um, I guess I, uh, uh, created a lot of, of carbon in the atmosphere, but I'm doing my best to pull that back and put it back in the soil where it belongs. That's awesome. I, I feel like you're doing a lot, a heck of a lot more than most. I mean, that's, that's pretty cool. Yeah. I've basically got three different jobs right now, running the ranch and then CEO of rebellion energy solutions and then CEO of rep provisions. So, so you're just yeah, a little all bit busy. Ties together beautifully though. <laughs> well, that's perfect. Well, Eric, this was so much fun, man, talking with you about rep provisions and kind of really how regenerative farming is one of our solutions that we can do to help bring people better quality food and kind of save the planet. Absolutely. Could not agree more. Well, thanks for chatting, man. Best of luck. Um, everything we, you, you talked about, all the links for rep provisions will be down below in description of this episode. So we'll have to send everybody your way. We appreciate it, man. Thank you, Trevor. Again, thank you so much for checking out this episode of the Farm Traveler podcast. If you enjoyed this, which I really hope you did, uh, consider sharing it with a friend or family member or do something as simple enough as posting and sharing this episode on social media, whatever social media app you might like, or even just leaving a review. Again, don't forget about our little competition leading up to Christmas for the koozies. Leave a review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts and just send it to me. And of course, I will be on the lookout for those as well. So thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next week. Adios.